And now it's go time. You fire up those feet while I hip you to this narrative magic. Denise uniquely weaves spirit and data to create a siren song of unearthing in Deeply Rooted. She helps me remember that we are connected to everything. I mean, everything. The complexity and inquisitiveness of this trail opens up to more questions. Let's take this voyage together and see how many answers we can find for ourselves. Intro. Reconnecting. Seed of wisdom. Walk as if you are kissing the ground with your feet. Tit not hum. Prelude, Buried History. The flow of human history, like the flow of creeks, streams, and rivers to the sea, cannot be easily contained. The waters of the world, the Atlantic, Pacific, Indian, and Arctic Ocean, are a single, continuous body of water. Like the truth, it defies our efforts to bury it, to divert it, or ignore it. It overflows its banks, sometimes leaking out in tiny trickles, sometimes erupting violently to the surface. We bury history. It is a purposeful forgetting to avoid shame, blame, anger, or guilt. Indeed, some subjects are so delicate that the mere suggestion of them makes some people uncomfortable. The little creeks and tributaries of the Tuckany Tacony frankfurt watershed flow into each other at the River Delaware and into the Atlantic Ocean. The currents, the avenues of migration and trade, flow to ancestral homelands in the Caribbean islands and across the Atlantic to Europe and Africa. Old Fisher's Lane Bridge the wrong way on the trail, stands at the intersection of the former Wingahawken Creek with the Tacony Creek. The Wingahawken Creek is now choked, encased in sewer lines, pushed to the periphery of our historical memory. Like the Lenai Lenape, who inhabited the Delaware Valley for thousands of years before European settlers arrived. The colonizers renamed the river and the people the Delaware. The Lenai Lenape were pushed out by violence, deception, and disease. Philadelphia place names retained their language while acknowledgement of their presence here is nearly invisible. Downstream, just below the Juniata Golf Club, the outfall of stormwater and sewage spills into the Frankfurt Creek and out into the Delaware River, the source of our drinking water. The landscape reflects the struggle for land and power, as much as it does the natural environment. Chapter 1, Fisher's Lane Bridge, Outfall. 
Meet Lulu. She's leaning against the cool stone wall of Old Fisher's Lane Bridge, thinking about a conversation she'd had with a dear friend. Cleo had recently taken a tour of Charleston's old slave mart, built in 1859 on a ballast-stoned street. It is the only surviving slave auction gallery in South Carolina. Nearly 40% of Africans brought to North America in chains entered through the port of Charleston. Cleo had learned from the tour guide that nearby roads and creek beds were commonly filled in with ballast stones, cobblestones thrown overboard from the many cargo ships that berthed at Charleston's port, burying the waterways along with the dreadful history associated with them. Now, Lulu wondered what stories might be buried in Taconi Creek. When Lulu peered into the creek below, the face that stared back at her was not her own. It was a familiar face, though. Same face she'd seen reflected in the crystal blue waters of Port Royal, Jamaica, a few years ago. She the dreamkeeper. She be dropping seeds of wisdom everywhere she goes. Stories are the roots to the past and wings to the future. Listen closely to Mother Earth, for she has stories to tell. There are stories beneath the surface, some buried like sewage, becoming toxic, polluting the streams and rivers that nourish the roots, connecting us one to another. This creek flows to the Delaware River. Through your past and through your present, the river represents your connection to the pain of those Africans who perished in the Great Mafia, the transatlantic human trade. Your connection to ancestral homelands and your tears of hope for the future generations. Lulu heard her, but didn't hear her. She felt a breeze brush across her cheek. For a fleeting moment, Lulu had a strange feeling, as if she were sleepwalking. Everything is connected. What connection do I have to this creek, to this trail? And why did I feel so compelled to come back here today? The first time I tried to walk this trail, I got lost. Well, I ran into a dead end. A stone wall stretched for half a mile in both directions, a cemetery on one side of the street, a driving range on the other. I gave up and went home. The second time, before I reached the first underpass, an imminent flood warning blared over my phone. I got drenched in the thunderstorm running back to my car. So, this time... Lulu decided to meet up with a group, but she didn't see anyone else there, aside from her spirit guide. Lulu determined to continue the journey on her own. She found the best stuff when she was lost anyway. To the east of the dead end is the former Frankfurt Asylum for the Insane. Now, Friends Hospital. 
Some people say it's an old underground railroad station. South and east of Frankfurt Creek is the Grand Army of the Republic Museum and Library. There's a room dedicated to General Meade, hero of Gettysburg and commander of the Army of the Potomac, which proudly displays the head of Old Baldy, General Meade's horse. She'd follow the signs. She backtracked to the point where a new sign indicated to turn left and walk around the yellow gate to continue the trail along the creek. And, of course, there were the other signs. The signs she saw, heard, felt, telling her to go this way or that, to trust her instincts that there was something there, something important, just waiting for her to find. She didn't always know what she was searching for. She always knew when she had found it. Like the time she stumbled upon the Norris silver dish at the now defunct Philadelphia History Museum. A story etched in the rim of this beautiful silver dish tells of a massive earthquake on June 7, 1692, in Jamaica, West Indies. It sank most of the town of Port Royal, a major shipping port and haven to prostitutes and pirates. Found floating in a cradle, Along with the silver dish was a little Negro child. Both were the property of a man who perished in the quake, Thomas Norris. Both were brought back to Philadelphia by his son, slave merchant Isaac Norris Sr. Lulu knew that the Norris estate, Fairhill, had been located at 7th and York, not far from Fairhill Historic Cemetery. The story captured Lulu's interest because her maternal great-grandmother, Jane Briscoe Oakley, was born in Portland, Jamaica. And her mother, Deborah, grew up on Norris Street in North Philly, in a home passed down for generations now lost to gentrification. Chapter 2, Nature with a Capital N. Seed of wisdom. Do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Lost in her thoughts, Lulu startled when an acorn or walnut or something fell from an imposing tree to the ground below. Whoa, that's a beautiful tree. She wondered how many decades it had taken to grow to such magnificence. It caused her to remember 
that nothing here in the U.S. is truly old, except the natural environment. Lulu had always felt an affinity with the spirit of trees. They are messengers, silent witnesses to history. Trees are sanctuaries, meeting places. Trees and plants have sacred and healing powers. Cleo had brought back a gift for Lulu from her recent visit to South Carolina, a book, Beyond the Fields, Slavery at Middleton Place. In it, Lulu found, among other gems, an account of enslaved Africans making physics. Mixtures of herbs, barks, roots, and saps concocted for different ailments. The small clay pots which held them were destroyed and discarded after one use. The shards might have been thrown into nearby rivers in a symbolic effort to send them back to Africa. As captured Africans walked the coast of Benin to ships waiting at Weedaw, they were made to walk around the tree of forgetting to make them forget their homes on the long journey. For centuries and to this day, certain families maintain the memory of lost loved ones through body markings and scarification. What have you forgotten? How will you remember? Lulu smiled when she heard a woodpecker's peck. And when she remembered that Cleo is also the name of one of the nine muses, the one that represents history, she wields a symbol of scrolls. Seems fitting. As Lulu passed a stone wall, she noticed a little offshoot trail up the hill a fork in the road. Faced with two potential paths, she pulled out a map. This is why I love maps and dream keepers. Lulu had always been fascinated by maps. She thought this was because of her poor eyesight and terrible sense of direction. She was constantly having to reorient herself. Eventually, she realized that it was more so about context. How do we navigate this life? How do the signs we encounter on the journey encourage us or deter us? Maps help us to orient ourselves relative to the world around us, and to plot out our journey. In life and in work, Lulu navigates the world with a third eye. Her creative practice is grounded in questions concerning our relationship to time and place. Maps, timelines, and landmarks are the compass on her journey. Archival material, plantation diaries, Oral histories, folklore, and mythology are her primary sources of investigation. Street names, to her, are like signposts, 
clues to uncover another connection. With a map, Lulu could discern the markings on the ground, the shapes of the rocks, and the patterns formed by handfuls of earth scattered on the ground by Mother Nature. In the course of her research, it occurred to her how often Philadelphia streets, some of which she had lived on or near, were named for founding fathers and mothers, signers of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, and founding trustees of what would become the University of Pennsylvania. She realized as well how often the same were slave owners and or merchants who trafficked in human cargo. Penn, Norris, Butler, Chu, Carpenter, Dickinson, Washington, Morris, Willing, Franklin, Gerard, and Master. Lulu had learned to trust the signs, the hard way. One day, about 40 years ago, as she sat in a salon chair under the hairdryer, an image flashed in her mind's eye of a man carrying her stereo out of her apartment. At the same time, she doubted her decision to leave her new boyfriend there with her key. She arrived home to find him gone, along with her stereo, TV, and VCR. Deciding on her path, she looked up from her map and saw a great blue heron skip across the water, then ever so gracefully glide away. Birds are messengers. Crick, high priest of whispering woods, supposes that birds guide us to our inner fears that we must be able to face and conquer in order to grow. The great blue heron is a symbol of wisdom, dignity, exploration, and balance. The white-breasted nuthatch, faith, truth, courage, and grounding. The belted kingfisher, peace, prosperity, and imperviousness. The peregrine falcon, astral travel, magic, swiftness, healing of the spirit and command of the skies. Lulu would encounter each of these birds on the trail. They took her breath away. What am I not facing? She asked herself. What must I see? Chapter 3, Musical Interlude Seed of Wisdom It is the presence of birds that remind us that there is something up there. That something that is up there is down here and knows no physical demarcation. Spirit is everywhere, and evident in all forms. Birds to fly must also touch the earth. Galadriel essay, The Mill Pond.
Chapter 4 Lost and Found Seed of Wisdom A journey is called that because you cannot know what you will discover on the journey or what you will do with what you find or what you find will do to you. James Baldwin Lulu began with what she knew to be true, with what she could see. The landscape, material culture, written documents. Then she looked for what was not there and listened for what was not said. The path of the Frankfurt Creek was diverted in the early 1900s, placing the mouth of the creek further west and closer to the Betsy Ross Bridge. Originally, the mouth of the creek curved sharply east around Bridesburg, or Point No Point, before spilling into the Delaware. By looking for what isn't there, Lulu found that Wingahawking Creek, the creek that isn't there, used to flow through Belfield, Worcester Woods, and Stenton, the estate of James Logan, secretary to William Penn. Charles Wilson Peel, born in Maryland, 1741, spent the last years of his life at Belfield, just north of Fisher's Lane. William Logan Fisher purchased Belfield when Peel died and passed it to his son-in-law, William Wister. Lulu had worked at Stenton years ago as a history hunter. Belfield Avenue, created to encase the main sewer line, was on the route Lulu traveled to work every day. Cedar Grove Mansion had been moved from Frankfurt to Fairmount Park. Lulu had toured this home in summer of 2018 when she was artist-in-residence at Mount Pleasant Mansion, another of the historic house museums stewarded by the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Lulu always felt uneasy in a new place until she knew something of its history. She wanted to know what and whom had been there before her. Who are the streets named for? How are the creeks that flow into the Delaware River connected? Where does this all fit into her understanding of the world? Then she was never truly lost. She could always find her way home. Chapter 5. Quiet Contemplation Chapter 6. All Roads Lead to Home Seed 
of wisdom. Regardless of a destination, all roads lead home. H.L. Balcom. A break in the trail meant that Lulu had to make a rather perilous crossing at Rising Sun Avenue, where it seemed there was hardly a place for a human to walk. She thought of what it must have been like for someone using the trails and creeks of the watershed to escape from slavery and who might have helped them along the way. Rising Sun Avenue named for the former Rising Sun Tavern, begins at the intersection of Old York Road and Germantown. It ascends through North Philadelphia, winds past Alney and Oak Lane, traverses the Taconi Creek diagonally above Tabor Road, and continues rising nearly parallel to the Taconi Creek. Finally, it bears east toward Pokessing Creek. The Pennsylvania Abolition Society was founded in 1775 at the Rising Sun Tavern as a society for the relief for free Negroes unlawfully held in bondage. At their first meeting, the society agreed to fight the sale of Dinah Neville and her children to a man who claimed to be their master. They failed but did manage to arrange for her family's freedom and return to Philadelphia in 1779. Once, while searching colonial land grants, Lulu had been surprised to come across Ishmael and Sarah, Prince and Margaret, Negroes who were deeded a life estate in the 1768 will of Thomas Robinson. The estate was on a parcel of land in Lower Dublin, below the east branch of Byberry Creek, a tributary of the Pokessing. Lower Dublin was bisected by the Pennypack Creek. Just two weeks ago, Lulu was trying to find her way to her family's reunion at Nishamini Shore Park. She drove past Byberry, abolitionists Robert Purvis and his wife, Harriet Fortin Purvis, had a home in Byberry with a trap door and a secret room for hiding fugitives. In Ben Salem, Lulu happened upon a segment of Dunk's Ferry Road between the Pokessing and the Nishamini Creeks. She knew that Dunk's Ferry was operated for 40 years by an enslaved black woman named Alice. Alice, a member of Christ's Church in Philadelphia, lived to the age of 116 in 1802. Looking at her map now, Lulu couldn't believe her eyes when she realized that Byberry Creek ran past around or under Archbishop Ryan, where she had attended high school for two years before transferring. Across the old Montgomery County Bridge, the tentacles of the little Tookany Creek ran right by Bishop McDevitt High School, her alma mater, and Beaver College. A flood of memories returned. When Lulu was in the fifth grade, her parents divorced, and she moved with her mother from North Philly to the far northeast, the suburbs. She was one of only three black girls to integrate her high school. She was acutely aware of discrimination. It became necessary on a daily basis to assert her right to be black and be her own individual. Yes, I've read Walt Whitman. Why are you so surprised? Yes, I like James Brown. No, I can't shoot a basketball. Yes, I wash my hair. 
No, I don't like Elvis. Yes, I play field hockey. No, I don't want to marry Ken. No, I don't live in the projects. But I once did. You got a problem with that? No, you can't touch my hair. And where are the black people in my history book? For Lulu's final years of high school, her family moved to Mount Airy, the black suburb on the edge of the city. She took the bus to Bishop McDevitt, just on the other side of the city line. She transferred temporarily to St. Vincent's Home for Girls and returned to McDevitt a few months after giving birth to her daughter. Determined to prove wrong, everyone who said her life was over, she graduated with honors in the 1970s. Unfortunately, she spent one miserable year at Beaver College while working a full-time job when she really wanted to be at home with her baby. Lulu stopped abruptly in her tracks before the carcass of a large bird on the trail, torn apart by some animal. Lulu tried to shake the image from her mind. Some cool graffiti in a tunnel under the railroad was a welcome distraction. She couldn't resist singing in the tunnel. The echo sounded to her like the muses were singing along. Life is a fairy tale filled with harsh realities. La, 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 la. Chapter 7, Out of the Woods Seed of Wisdom Sometimes you can't figure out what's going on in your own backyard without figuring out all the places around the world that your backyard is connected to. Gasland 2, Josh Fox. Funny, all the years Lulu had lived in this area, she had never done more than drive over the Adams Avenue Bridge to go shopping. She didn't realize how far the trail stretched out on either side or just how beautiful it was here. She traced on her map all the streets that met the Taconi Creek. They were some of the same she'd come across studying the history of slavery in Philadelphia. Was this a coincidence? Lulu didn't believe in coincidence. Nidro Avenue is named for Thomas Nidro, a British officer serving in Boston during the American Revolution. He switched sides and his land was confiscated by the colonial government. It was purchased by Pierce Butler in 1812 and became known as York Farm until... His grandson, Pierce Meese Butler, and wife, Frances Kemble, lived on the farm and called it Butler Place. Eventually, the land was divided by the Fernrock Land Association. When Lulu didn't want to drive into Center City, she'd take Stenton Avenue to Godfrey, turn right on 11th Street, 
park her car at Fern Rock Transportation Center and ride the Broad Street Line to work. True story. Lulu's current home in West Oak Lane lies between the Taconi Creek and what used to be the Wingahawking Creek. One of the far-reaching branches of this creek stopped near the foot of her street, now an odd five-point intersection with Rodney and Worcester. Her neighbors across the street are the occupants of the Philadelphia National Cemetery. There are Buffalo soldiers buried there, a guy named General Pennypacker, and Baseball Hall of Famer Louis Santop. There are monuments to veterans of the Battle of Germantown, the Mexican-American War, and Confederate soldiers and sailors. Poor Lulu. Are the whispers of these restless souls the reason you don't sleep well at night? The street behind Lulu's house is called Middleton. It was a common practice of Southern planters to have townhouses in the city of Philadelphia and summer residences in the surrounding townships and boroughs. Eliza Middleton, while on a summer retreat in Philadelphia, corresponded with her mother, Mary Herring Middleton. Mary had grown up in Philadelphia but was born in Jamaica. Mary's father was a British officer who owned sugar plantations on the island. Eliza's great-grandfather, Henry Middleton of Charleston, South Carolina, and her grandfather, Arthur, were members of the Continental Congress. Arthur signed the Declaration of Independence. Henry had come into possession of Middleton Place, along with his bride, another Mary, Mary Williams, in 1741. Eliza's father, also Henry, was a member of the South Carolina legislature, governor, and twice elected to Congress. Eliza's fiancé was Francis Fisher. The Middletons had amassed great wealth over many generations, growing rice and indigo on a network of 25 plantations along the Ashley and Combahee Rivers in South Carolina by using a slave labor force of 3,500 enslaved. The book Cleo had gifted to Lulu listed every one of their names. Cleo had been in the audience when Lulu told the story of the weeping time about the largest single sale of human beings in the history of the United States. Pierce Butler was a South Carolina rice planter and U.S. Senator, married to Mary Middleton Meese. What is it with all the Marys? This Mary was the daughter of another wealthy planter, Thomas Middleton. Pierce Meese Butler of Philadelphia inherited his grandfather's plantations in Georgia and the 436 enslaved Africans who worked them. On March 2nd and 3rd, 1859, on a racetrack in Savannah, he sold them all in order to pay off his enormous gambling debts. Due to the wrenching apart of families and the incessant rain, it came to be known as the weeping time. A newspaper reported, it was as if the heavens were weeping for the inhumanity being committed. Butler's wife, Frances, or Fanny Kimball, wrote, journal of a residence on a Georgian plantation 1838 to 1839, about her brief time as mistress on his plantation. 
It circulated amongst the abolitionist community and was published after emancipation. Cleo's heart skipped a beat as she listened to Lulu's performance. An old feeling of shame returned. Pierce Meese Butler was Cleo's great, great, great uncle. Cleo wrote a letter to Lulu that night, and soon they began a dialogue about their converging family histories. Cleo's ancestral line includes the Middletons, Mitchells, Langdons, and Butlers, signers of America's founding documents. Kimball Park, not far from Lulu's home, is named for Fanny Kimball. It gets better. Lulu had stumbled upon the story of the weeping time while searching for her family's roots. She was trying to find the kernel of truth in a story passed down in her family that her paternal great-great-grandfather had been traded from one plantation to another to pay off a bet and that he was occasionally allowed to visit the family he was forced to leave behind. Lulu googled, Slaves traded to pay off a bet, just to see if there was such a thing. She came across two documented cases of slaves traded to pay off a debt. One was the weeping time, The other was a court-ordered transfer of property between the Adams, Brevard, and Hayes families. In both cases, the loss was, in part, the result of gambling debts. Lulu wondered out loud, two separate events involving slaves being traded to pay off a debt, in part, resulting from gambling, both lead back to her ancestors? Another coincidence? Dreamkeeper, where are you? Lulu would eventually uncover astonishing connections to both incidents. Chapter 8, All We Have Seed of Wisdom And once you have tasted flight, you will walk the earth with your eyes turned skyward. For there you have been, and there you long to return. Leonardo da Vinci. Lulu caught sight of a magnificent peregrine falcon. She looked up to follow its flight path and gasped at the beauty of the canopy above her head. Brevard. The name sounded familiar. It was the name of one of the plantation mistresses whose diaries Lulu had developed a fascination for. Frances Fanny Kimball. Deborah Norris Logan. Elizabeth Lucas Pinckney. And Keziah Brevard. Lulu wasn't sure why she was drawn to the diaries. And why these? In time, it would become clear to her. In 1844, Keziah Goodwin Hopkins Brevard became sole heir of Brevard Place 
or All We Have, and Magnolia, or Wavering Place Plantations. Keziah died in 1868 and left Brevard Place to the granddaughters of her half-nephew, Governor James Hopkins Adams. After the Civil War, Edward Hopkins lost Magnolia in a bet to James Pickett Adams. Hopkins had pledged 50 slaves to cover a $34,000 gambling debt. Since slaves were no longer considered property, the issue of substituting other property for the slaves was taken to the South Carolina Supreme Court. The court declared in 1869 that real property must be used for debt repayment as freed slaves could no longer be owned. Thereafter, it was known as Wavering Place. Seed of wisdom. What is scattered must forever yearn to be gathered. Jocelyn Janine Luckett. Keziah Goodwin Hopkins Brevard and Joel Adams were among the slave owners Lulu found on a list compiled from an 1870 federal census of individuals formerly enslaved in Richland County, South Carolina. They, in fact, owned several of Lulu's ancestors, including her paternal great-great-grandmother, Dorcas Jenkins Goodwin Hayes. Lulu's paternal grandparents, Ola Glover and Robert Washington, were born in Richland County, South Carolina, between the Congaree and Wateree Rivers. Robert was the son of George Washington and Ellen Goodwin. Ellen was born to Dorcas Jenkins Goodwin Hayes and John Goodwin. Dorcas was born about 1850, the daughter of Harry Hayes and Mary Brevard. Mary Brevard was born in 1829 on All We Have Plantation in Hopkins, South Carolina. The Diary of Keziah Brevard 1860 to 1861, includes several entries that mention a young girl called Dorcas. Friday 11. Sun shines dimly, very cold. Ned and John commence throwing down corn beds where I am to sow oats. Horses gone to be shod. Dorcas inclined to talk more than work. Mary and Sylvia sewing. The two latter do about the one-fourth what one person should do. Those who have Negroes to manage are Job's or should be. They have almost as great trials as he had. Lulu searched the list of enslaved at Middleton Place Plantation from the book Cleo had given her, scouring the pages for a familiar name. She found the names of some of her ancestors on a list of the descendants of Ned Edward Middleton, formerly enslaved by Keziah Brevard. Lulu had joked that she would probably find out that Cleo is her long-lost white cousin. If we aren't connected genetically, we are certainly connected karmically. They both cracked up. Then, a look of recognition passed between them, knowing that Lulu's family had been enslaved 
and Cleo's family were enslavers. Lulu's father, Theodore, passed away at a very young age, and Lulu never got to ask him questions about his family history. His mother, Ola, lived to be 99 years old, but Lulu never heard her speak a word about her origins. Ola was born to Georgiana Shedrick and Hilliard Glover. Lulu had found Hilliard on the rolls of the South Carolina State Penitentiary in 1880. Hints from her ancestry tree point to slave owner Thomas Glover as her second great-grandfather. The latest clues in her through lines suggest Louisa C. Glover, or Louisa C. The Bode, as Thomas's wife. Were they one and the same? Is either the mother of Hilliard Glover? She didn't know. Louisa C. Thibode is the daughter of Edward T. Thibode, a merchant involved in the slave trade, and Emma Lucette Van Schalkweik de Boisebain, born in Guadeloupe. Emma Lucette was the daughter of an exiled nobleman in the guard of King Louis XVI. Vincent Boisebain had come to America to escape the fallout of the French Revolution. Lulu wondered if Emma Lucette was ever called Lulu for short. Lulu's head was spinning. She realized that she might never have all the answers. But walking this trail, taking time to think, was helping to put this all into perspective. What was that? A book? Lulu was stunned to see a male deer with a full set of antlers. Chapter 9, Unforgetting, or Searching for the Tree of Return. Seed of Wisdom The people of Dahomey planted the Tree of Return in the place marking the point of last goodbye. By turning three times around the tree, the enslaved could ensure that their spirits would return to their homeland after death. From the Weedaw Museum. Lulu knew that her walk was coming to an end at the Montgomery County line. So she lingered on the last wooden bridge. She'd left her car nearby since it was so close to home. Not long ago, she had taken a drive on the Tuckany Creek Parkway. She saw a deer, then a possum, crossing the road at a beautiful old stone bridge in Ashmead Village. She took one last look up at the canopy of trees and thought of the angel oak tree in Charleston and the tree on the campus of Hampton University in Virginia, where she had gathered round with many other storytellers, singing, dancing, drumming, praying, and telling stories. Storytelling was her calling. There were many signs to assure her of this. 
she'd never forget the time in 2012 when she'd met the Honorable Samia Nkrumah, the daughter of the late Kwame Nkrumah, first Prime Minister of Ghana after independence, was on a visit to Philadelphia to retrieve her father's lost diaries. She was generous with the audience who had come to welcome her. When Samia learned that Lulu was a storyteller, she took her by the hand and introduced her to a woman named Ama. Take care of her. Teach her, she'd said. Mama Ama phoned Lulu late that night and talked to her till the wee hours of the morning. Tears filled Lulu's eyes when Ama told her that African women had always participated in the planning and execution of resistance and insurrection. That whatever the people needed, food, medicine, weapons, it was hidden in the folds of Mama's dress. Yam wrapped in banana leaf around her waist. A machete tied to her leg. Shortly after Lulu's mother, Deborah, had passed away in 2016, she was invited to perform at a storytelling festival in Jamaica. On the final day, the host took the storytellers to Port Royal. Lulu found herself overlooking the shore where more than 300 years before, an earthquake had caused the rest of the town to sink into the sea. And where, as the story goes, a little slave girl was found floating in a cradle along with a silver dish, brought to Philadelphia by Isaac Norris across the Atlantic Ocean to the port of Philadelphia on the Delaware River. The little slave girl with no name had started Lulu on this journey. For years, she had searched for the little girl's name and her fate. When she returned home from Jamaica, she found the diary of Deborah Norris Logan. It was an account of her distinguished lineage. In it, Lulu found the story of the Norris silver dish and the little slave girl. Only this version included the story of a heroic slave, the little girl's father, who had perished in the earthquake attempting to rescue Thomas Norris. He also remains unnamed. Finally, Lulu found a clue in the provenance of the silver dish. Apparently, the little girl had been passed down from one member of the Norris family to another. Eventually, she gave birth to a daughter who was gradually emancipated. Still, none of the accounts mentioned her by name. Lulu was elated when she came across the name of the daughter, Betty, and the names of two other Africans enslaved by the Norrises, William and Adu. Seed of wisdom. As long as you speak my name, I shall live forever. African proverb. Lulu had thought that all the messengers she heard, felt, and saw were her ancestors. But now she wondered if perhaps these were the voices of her children's children's children. Lulu emerged from the trail to find nothing as it was 
when she had entered it. Outro, deeply rooted. Seed of wisdom. Even the longest river never forgets its source. Yoruba proverb. One of Lulu's favorite maps is an image found in Thomas Clarkson's History of the Rise, Progress, and Accomplishment of the Abolition of the Slave Trade. Clarkson's 1808 illustration traces the lineage of those who stood up against the slave trade. At first glance, it appears to depict streams and tributaries branching out from two larger rivers, or the roots of a tree sinking deep into the ground. How much history remains buried? How do we dig deep enough to expose the fresh, rich, black soil? Seed of wisdom. Truth is like a baobab tree. One person's arms cannot embrace it. African proverb. We are deeply rooted, firmly planted in the soil. The deeper the roots, the stronger the tree. Everything is connected. We think deep roots so you can fly high. It's clear that Lulu loves maps and dream keepers, ha! Were you able to discover yourself by getting lost on this land voyage? Let's find a spot to reflect on the signs the dream keepers whispered to you. <laughs> 